The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chafe with unquenchable fire. The Gospel of the Lord. All right. All the children here, and, and everybody for that matter, it is the second week of Advent. Do you see on the Advent wreath, we lit two candles this week. Two candles, both blue. We're waiting and we're preparing for what? Christmas. We're waiting and we're preparing for the birth of Jesus and that's why we're building this scene here. And you can see the animals are waiting. And we're carrying in each week a piece of the scene. And the animals are waiting peacefully. The theme of this week moving ahead is peace. All of you, do this. Think about this this week as you move through your week. Think about when you can give this sign to somebody or give this sign to yourself, peace, when you can say, peace be with you, or peace be with me. Do these, what are these animals, how do they look like they feel in this scene? How do they look like they feel? Um, yeah? Fine. Fine. Um, good. good. Tired. <laughs> A little bit exhausted, yeah. All right. Well, th this is a picture also that I'm going to send in with Miss Anna Lee for you guys to look at today. And this, in this picture, you can see 
this peaceful kingdom. There is so much to see in this picture that has to do with peace and has to do with the kingdom and waiting and being peaceful together. And I hope that you can each look at this closely and try to find something very detailed and special in it that you can talk about and find peace as we wait peacefully and gratefully for the coming of Christmas. All right? Happy Advent. Those of you who are going out with Anna Lee, follow her now. Sorry about that. Please be seated. Touch it at your peril. Good morning, everybody. Seems like ages since I've been here. It, it does, huh? I was afraid you'd say, oh, no, it seems like just yesterday. Uh, it's great to be back with you again. Um, it has been so long since I've been here that in between I've had, uh, I've experienced the miracle of cataract surgery. Anybody here been through that process? Yeah, it's amazing. I can see at a distance now in a way that I haven't been able to do since I was a wee small child. So now I have this little reading glasses so I can also see my sermon down here. But it does mean that I can look up and I can actually see you. I can see you. I can see if you fall asleep. You know? I know what's going on out there. So, uh, now this, this sermon this morning, as you may have already guessed from looking at your bulletin and from hearing um, Gina, this is a show-and-tell sermon. So you're going to want to get that picture out so that you can take a look at that as we go through the sermon today. The Romans passage this morning is one of many in the, in, in the writings of Paul where the people who, who would have heard him, would have heard those passages, would have heard it echoing with an Old Testament passage that they knew so well. And that Old Testament passage that, that Romans is calling up into people's minds is the verses from the 11th chapter of Isaiah about the peaceable kingdom. The wolf shall live with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the kid, the calf and the lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put its hand on the adder's den. They will not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Many artists have put brush to canvas to depict this amazing scene that Isaiah paints for us with words, but perhaps none was more famous or more determined than Edward Hicks, this is the painting, one, one of the paintings by the great artist 
Edward Hicks. I think we can safely say that, that Hicks was obsessed with this image. This was the centerpiece of his work. He painted this scene not once, not twice, not three times, but 62 times over the course of his career. 62 times. And he was working on a version of the peaceable kingdom at the time of his death. Each of them shares some common basic images, a kind of petting zoo cluster of animals around a child in a park-like woodland. The tableau often seen as an uncomplicated emblem of the Garden of Eden that America once was. And these images made Hicks a folks classic. It turns out, though, that Hicks's 62 kingdom paintings aren't identical. It turns out that they're not quite the unruffled idols of innocence and peace that one might think at first, but rather seen as a whole, they serve as a subtle testimony to the trials of his life and faith and his unhappy search for a peaceable kingdom in the world in which he lived. Now, if you look at this, off on the left-hand side, as in here and in many of the canvases, Hicks links the passage from Isaiah to a real breakthrough of peace in his own world. And here we see William Penn and his companions signing a treaty of respect and peace with the Native American tribe. One version of this painting has a notable leopard this version is often called the peaceable kingdom with the serenity leopard, where the leopard is stretched out full length at the center of the picture, very different from the one that you have here. All of the pictures feature a child, and sometimes more than one, several children, and they are usually pictures of Hicks's own kids. Some of the children are comfortably seated among the wild beasts, while in other paintings they seem to be clinging precariously to the cliffs that you see down in the lower left of the canvas. All of them juxtapose wild and tame animals. In some paintings, more or less like this one, the wild animals appear fairly calm and happy. In others, the lion and the tiger stare ominously at the viewer, seeming ready to pounce if provoked. In some cases, the wolf stares intensely at a somewhat nervous lamb, and the bucolic scene seems infused with an uneasy tension. As Woody Allen famously said, the lion may lie down with the lamb, but the lamb won't get much sleep. <laughs> it turns out that these 62 depictions of the peaceful kingdom reflect the quiet but intense drama of Hicks's own life. Now, I would invite you later on today whenever, if you'd like, if you Google Edward Hicks and the Peaceable Kingdom, it will pull up dozens of images of all of the 62 drawings, and you can see how they are different and, and how, in some, the animals seem considerably more ferocious. Edward Hicks was born in rural eastern Pennsylvania. His grandfather, a wealthy Tory, had been stripped of his property in the American Revolution. 
His mother died when he was an infant, and his father, unable to support the children, boarded them out. So from the age of three, Hicks lived with a Quaker family named Twining. He loved them. He idolized one of the Twining's daughters, Mary, considering her his closest friend. And this early childhood was the nearest that he ever came to a state of earthly grace. At the age of 13, now what were you up to at the age of 13? When he was 13, he was apprenticed to a local coach-making firm, and he showed a distinctive flair for ornamental painting, heraldic devices, fancy lettering, and so on. He also fell into a pattern of drinking and carousing that spun out of control by his own account. Then he found, or he rediscovered, religion. Around 1800, at the age of 20, he began to attend meetings of the Religious Society of Friends, and he never stopped. Hicks was as impractical as he was devout. In 1811, he became an unsalaried Quaker minister and opened a carriage and sign painting shop. Unfortunately, the kind of painting Hicks specialized in was not approved of by the Quakers. His expertly decorated signs and objects were viewed as vain and luxurious things. So he tried to restrict himself to kind of a no-frills, straightforward style, but then that affected his business. Finally, in frustration, he sold his business and became a farmer, which did not work either. His problems were clearly compounded by his high-strung, fractious personality. He appears to have been given to outbursts of fury, followed by fits of sobbing. And he was damagingly candid in his opinions, particularly on matters related to his religious faith. And finally, he lived at a turbulent time when the Quakers, known as the Society of Friends, were experiencing a devastating internal rift and division. On one side was the orthodox faction, largely urban folks, more prosperous and educated, promoting a more rational religious hierarchy while supporting progressive reformist causes like the abolition of slavery. On the other side was a conservative, primarily rural faction with which Hicks was fiercely aligned. It advocated an older version of the religion based on individual revelation. And this group, happening to be called the Hicksites, gathered around the charismatic minister Elias Hicks, who was the artist's older cousin. Now, does this divide between rural and urban sound vaguely familiar to you? What followed was a bitter doctrinal and psychic war that radically shaped Hicks's art. After his farming misadventure, he resumed his career as an artisan, but also began to do paintings of the peaceable kingdom. At first, perhaps as a way to give what he self-rebukingly called his excessive fondness for painting some kind of an acceptable moral dimension. 
He continued doing other work, shop signs, landscapes, historical scenes on commission, but the kingdom paintings were specialty. He painted them repeatedly and obsessively for himself or as gifts for others. They become, over the years, more complex in style, combining the liveliness of popular art with surprising academic finesse, and they grow ever more pointed in their content. The first series, of which this is a piece, starting in the early 1820s, incorporated the secondary background theme of the 17th century Quaker William Penn, arranging a peace treaty with the American Indians. But after the great Quaker schism in 1827, the images became more volatile. Penn's peace treaty was replaced by a ghostly troop of historic Quaker elders, Penn among them, greeting the great Elias Hicks. And in the next decade, when the paintings became both deeply expressive and wildly uneven in quality, the foreground began to change as well. Additional animals, additional children crowded in. The carnivorous beasts, the lions, the leopards, and the wolves get larger. Where once they had cast their eyes docilely to the ground, they now stare out, alert, aggressive, challenging. Toward the end of his life, as the strife between the mainline Quakers and the Hicksites grew more bitter, the wild animals begin to snarl. They raise their claws, threatening to break out of the harmony of the peaceable kingdom. And for Hicks, this represented his extreme fears that the Quakers might not find a truly peaceable solution to their divisions. For Hicks, there was a deeper, inner, and more personal meaning of the animals lying down together. In his view, every person contained fierce animal propensities and passions. He linked the wild animals to various dispositions in human beings. The wolf represented melancholy. The leopard embodied a more hopeful temperament. The bear was serene and calm in his intensity, and the lion irritable and angry. But in the bathing radiance of the inner life of the spirit, however, these fierce animals with their lusts and aggressions could be transformed. The wolf to a lamb, the leopard to the kid, the bear to the cow, and the lion to the ox. At heart, Hicks knew that any outer peaceable kingdom depended first on our own inner transformation into people of interior harmony and peace, while not denying the real complexities of our inner selves. It strikes me that there are two powerful ways to reflect in this Advent season on Hicks's paintings and his passion for the peaceable kingdom. First, like him, we too need to return time and time again to the hope and dream of Isaiah, constantly seeking, constantly searching for those places where in our everyday world we see the peaceable kingdom breaking through. In the kindness of strangers, 
in the reconciliation of enemies, in the accepting of difference, in the celebration of diversity. Finding these places where the peaceable kingdom is breaking through and celebrating God at work in these places. Secondly, we can use the images and archetypes used in the paintings to imagine the places in our own selves where we are prone to the snarls, where we are prone to the lifting of the claws that break and tear at the serenity and harmony of the world. And we can try to address and tame them before we are all destroyed and devoured by hate. I suppose as we see peace less, or fear more, perhaps, its disappearance, we need all the more to envision it, to envision it keenly and continuously and repeatedly. Lingering on the peaceable kingdom can remind us that the ideal of peace, while so elusive, is never more needed never more essential than it is today. Perhaps living with Hicks's vision of the peaceable kingdom through Advent can help us to focus our imaginations on where it is that this little child of Isaiah is meant to guide us. And in the end, it may be that the inbreaking of a more peaceable kingdom in our world will depend, like it did for Edward Hicks, on our constantly reimagining and reimagining over and over again all of its wondrous possibilities for our world.